Welcome to Now with Steve Rio. On this podcast, I seek to define what it means to live a good life. How do we stay connected and aligned with our values and our purpose? How do we prioritize what's most important to us? And how do we optimize and make the most of the time we have in this life? Today's conversation is with Steph Corker. Steph is the founder of The Corker Co. She sits on the board of One Girl Can, and she's a professional Ironman athlete. She's completed over 25 Ironman races. If you don't know what an Ironman is, I encourage you to Google it and then think about doing it 25 times. Uh, It speaks to Steph's incredible determination, her discipline, and her willingness to just go all in on life. Steph has an incredible, infectious energy that she shares whenever she's with you. And I think you'll hear that in this conversation. It was such a pleasure. And I always think of Steph as someone who's incredibly values and purpose aligned and has done a lot of thinking about what it means to live a good life, what it means to be healthy and happy and to spread joy and love in every interaction. And I think she does that in her work, in her personal life, in all facets of her life, really. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. You can find out more about her at stephcorker.com or find out more about her company, The Corker Co. at thecorkercollective.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you do, make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. And if you could take one extra minute and rate and review this podcast, that would be incredible. You can follow me on Instagram at Steve Rio. And if you're interested in learning how to increase your performance, resilience, and well-being, check out Nature of Work. It's a personal operating system to help you live life to its fullest. You can find us online at natureofwork.co. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So I'd love to start by just asking you, how do you describe yourself outside of your business bio or your LinkedIn bio? Oh, that's my favorite bio. I hate my business bio only because I hate having to write or declare myself by some terms that other people think are acceptable. Um, I would tell you about all the times I've failed and hop back up again. Um, I would tell you that I've baked 4,000 cookies for cyclists and I'm really proud of that. And I would tell you that um, I'm a love bug with a lot of really special relationships and humans in my life that make my life really complete. And for that, I am a very grateful soul. And when we when we last spoke, um, I asked you how you talk about yourself in a work context, and you said that you're a unicorn hunter. Hmm. What does that mean to you? Yeah, so I am a recruiter by boring definition, I suppose. Um, I'm one of a lot of them, especially in British Columbia. And um, at one point in time, I thought I was a matchmaker because the beautiful thing was that I got to find people and match them to future companies or um, bosses, leaders. And along the way, the, the asks kept getting raised. The stakes got higher. It was like, we want someone who's done all of these things with all of these brands all around the world, you know, and can't wait to move to Vancouver and take a hundred thousand dollar pay cut because we're going to be the next best thing. And, um, I'm being slightly facetious, but 
I would call those people unicorns. It's like, it's not a diamond in the rough. It's like, it's the horse that's out at pasture and their tail is colorful and they may or may not have a horn, but give me something that's different. And I take great pride in my love of asking questions and my love of finding out things about people that you can't find out on Google. And so when I get the opportunity to matchmake with people, I think it's really special because I'm going to tell you about this person in ways that you can't find out about them on the internet. And um, I don't know, maybe one of my superpowers is asking special questions. I'm a very insatiably curious human. And I think that there's a curiosity that comes with hunting horses that have colorful tails. <laughs> yeah. And you talked also about, I mean, when you talk about matchmaking, it sounds to me that, um, a big part of why your work feels special to you is the relationships that you get to introduce or that you, you get to bring into the world. Is that something for you? Oh, it feels super purposeful. I think that, um, we choose partners or a partner in life and we spend time with them. We might call them chosen family or, you know, we have a collection of friends. But beyond those choices, the other people in life that we devote or spend a lot of time with typically are those that we work with. And so um, Matt and I, this is not uncommon knowledge, tried three times to start dating companies and we failed. <laughs> and um, we were really passionate about love. And so the second best option to failed dating businesses was a recruitment company that has obviously morphed and become a lot more than that. Um, but I just think those are really special relationships. You know, you're negotiating how much someone is going to trade their time for money. And I think it's special. How, how long have you been doing recruiting? Probably about 15 years. That sounds crazy. Yeah, I know. Whenever I look at my resume or I talk about how long I've been doing the things, I feel like, it, like it's, it is crazy. It's like, wow, I didn't know I'd do anything for that long. Yeah. I started on a three-week contract and it feels very timely as, you know, we're in the midst of COVID and there's so much uncertainty. And yet I look back and like my career started in incredible uncertainty on a three-week gig that I poured my heart and soul into. And I think it's allowed me to surf a lot of rough waters um, and just realize how much is uncertain and the joy of diving all in. If it's three minutes, if it's three weeks, go for it. Who knows what will happen? That's so cool. That's a great, that's a great lesson in trusting the unknown. Absolutely. It's all we actually have, but we seem to think we have more control. Yeah, it's been interesting talking to people about that exact thing in this time is that all all that this COVID and coronavirus thing has done is make it really obvious that nothing is certain. Totally. And that's okay. Absolutely. I'm interested in your path through, I, I, I hadn't looked at your kind of what you'd done. I didn't know you started, first of all, let's talk about dating sites for a sec. You were trying to do like date matchmaking? Yeah. So our first take at this was called Nomo Solo. So you become solo Nomo. And we had a hetero site and a homo site. And I thought it was just so punny and great. Um, but it was offline dating and it was at the dawn of online dating. And I'm like, oh gosh, are people really going to meet online? Because <laughs> I'm not a futurist. And uh, I wanted to partner with retailers to create real life experiences because I thought that meeting somebody in the grocery store 
my vision was meeting somebody over produce at Whole Foods would be a really cute matchmaking story. And Whole Foods thought it was a little bit too risky. Oh, that's so cool. I had no idea that that's how you started doing what you do now. That's such an interesting pathway. I had started recruiting previously. Like I was recruiting in the corporate world and this was a side hustle that Matt and I were flirting with. So I was already in the world of recruiting um, and we were just really excited about, about dating. I mean, I have some crazy dating stories. They probably don't fit on this podcast, but it inspired me to do some offline dating experiments. You're going to have to tell me at least one crazy dating story then. Do you want it right now? Yes. Um, well, so I was on this Christian dating site because I thought my mom would approve if I brought home a Christian boy and lesson one, don't date for your parents, but that's another story. And I don't know why, but I picked him up and thought driving him to my uncle's church in Abbotsford was going to be a really fun, great (laughs) Sunday morning date idea. And I picked him up and I don't know, this is online dating, what was true or false, but he told me that he had just gotten out of jail while I was driving him to church in Abbotsford. And for people that are listening, that's like an hour away from Vancouver on the highway, like far enough away that it's a problem. And I was so freaked out, Steve, that um, as soon as the pastor told everybody to close their eyes, I got up and ran out of church and I left him there. Wow. (laughs) That's why you wanted to start Nomo Solo. And I was like, this is tragic. Christian dating sites for the fail. And I'm a terrible date, clearly. But he told me he just got out of jail. So, Wow. Do you remember what site that was? No, I don't. Because I went on a only one dating site in my whole life, and it and was a Christian dating site. But I don't think I knew it was a Christian dating site, and for a bit, and then I started like I don't know messaging or whatever you did back then with a few women, and very quickly came to realize it was a Christian dating site. <laughs> but that was my only online like we I kind of yeah. missed the the online dating thing. Yeah, that was my last online date. Wow. Just to be clear. And okay, it was well, fair enough. a lot of years ago. Thank you for sharing that. I'm learning <laughs> a ton of new things about you. I think only a couple of people know, and now it's going to be on a podcast. But I mean, it's pretty hilarious now. It is. That's a, yeah, that's a great story. Um, I was interested looking, you know, at your work experience because you were, yeah, definitely in very corporate recruiting. I mean, you were in SAP, right? And you were at Best Buy. And then you went to Lululemon. But Lululemon... Where was Lululemon at when you joined them? Because I think a lot of people only know them as the international behemoth that they are today. Mm-hmm. Um, where were they at in their kind of growth stage when you joined them? Yeah. Um, well, if I may, because you've just gone through like, yes, I've worked for these big companies in Vancouver. Um, if I may add in, I worked for big companies until I got bored or something changed. My boss changed something I wasn't inspired by. And every time along the way, people were like, that doesn't look good on your resume. You shouldn't leave. And I was like, why are people living their lives and building careers around resumes? This is so whack to me. I just didn't, I didn't get it. And I never listened. And I'm so grateful because I feel like I have, you know, stories to tell because I made these leaps and I can tell you that I was stuck or bored and I did something about it every time. And so that's 
you know, that's definitely part of the story. And I, among working for these big brands that had, you know, beautiful things in place, I also worked for a company called BC Bearing. And it was actually founded um, by, I think it was a husband and wife couple. And unfortunately, the husband died and the wife carried the business on. And her name was Wendy McDonald. I think she's been inducted into the Order of Canada. What she created or sustained was phenomenal. And one of my most proud career moments was when a mill, several mills burnt down in Prince George. And I convinced the team here in Vancouver that we should put on a career fair in Prince George and help all of these people in displaced Northern British Columbia find work. And I brought in all of these companies and a hot dog stand because all they wanted was some food. And I look back and it's like, as you're talking about these companies, I'm like, oh man, Steve, I want to tell you about BC Bearing. And you know what? I got bored there too. And I called it BC Boring. And then I left. (laughs) And that's a shame. And my boss was one of my favorite humans ever. But then the recession hit. And this was 2008, 2009. And Best Buy had a really juicy role. uh, And Lululemon had a really juicy role. Best Buy at the time had acquired Future Shop. They were really big. But I don't watch TV. And I knew nothing about TV or DVDs or anything. And they were like, you know, this is like Finding Nemo versus something else. And it was like Japanese to me. I'm like, I don't, I don't get this world. But then Lululemon, um, they were about 60 people. They had 12 stores. And Chip was like, I don't know what your problem is. We're going to make it through this recession. You're crazy if you think there's going to be any issues. And I made the right, wrong, who knows what and who cares mistake. And I went to Best Buy. And I watched Lululemon for a year and a half. And I was at Best Buy when everyone got laid off and we went through the recession and no one was buying TVs and no one was buying black stretchy pants. And we all came out of the recession the other side. Lululemon had grown a bit by then. There was about 100 people at head office when I joined and they were doing about $40 million in revenue. And I thought that was enormous. Like they are making $40 million a year on black stretchy pants. This is so cool. And I left when they were doing 1.2 billion. Wow. Um, and it was the most special six years ever. So that decision to go to Best Buy, was that a, would you call that a fear-based decision or, you know, or like a, like a cautious, like a caution based decision or what, what was that about? You know, the truth, again, um, is that I went to Best Buy because the leader, the manager I was going to work for, Mm. was a phenomenal guy who I had worked for previously at SAP, and it had everything to do about the human. Okay, so it was just, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It it was super love. There was no fear. Um, It was all for a human. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. And there's a lot of different stories about Lululemon. I, I've heard, I've just seen, but I've seen a lot of people really find out who they are there or just learn a lot there. Um, a lot of people come out of there and launched their own businesses like you have. Um, I'm just interested what that experience was like. What, what was, what was the experience and culture of Lululemon? What did you take away from that experience? Gosh, it was like, I mean, truly absolutely transformational. The best days, the best days. Um, And what I would say is that I left Lululemon six years ago 
and a lot has changed in six years. So with all respect and um, all candor, like I can't speak to the last six years of Lululemon. I haven't been a part of it. I don't know what it's like. And when I was there, Chip was still there. And when I was there, the original gangster team of leaders that had started on the West 4th store were the leaders of the company. And some of them are still my very good friends. Um, and, you know, you and I have spoken of Chip has really rubbed some people the wrong way. And Chip certainly has um, his own. Chip is not short on sharing his opinion. Uh, and not everyone loves it. Um, what I would say is that my time specifically with Chip at Lululemon was incredibly instrumental and something I really cherish. So um, Chip also made it very clear that he wanted to create entrepreneurs out of his business. He wanted you to think entrepreneurial while you were there and he wanted you to go and create things. And so there's a ton of people that have created a ton of people that have created really cool businesses because of our time there. And one of my last really fun projects at Lululemon was called Beyond Luan. There was a group of us that put on these events um, every quarter or so in various cities. And we would just feature all of the rad people that worked at Lululemon that were doing really cool things beyond their day jobs. And the stories were just phenomenal. And to your point, like people's lives were changed and it was a series of many things. Um, undeniably, we all went through Landmark and the Landmark Forum and Advanced Landmark, um, and that certainly created a language. We all had to set goals and post them on the wall, and that created vulnerability. Um, we were encouraged to create things, and that created entrepreneurs. So it was phenomenal. That sounds great. It sounds fun. And watching a company, I mean, joining a company at 40 million and watching it basically grow, I don't know, about 30 times its size yeah. in your in your time there. And you weren't there for a heck of a, like you were there a few years, but. So I was there for six years and I joined um, and it was myself and one other person recruiting. And when I left, the recruiting team was like 27 people big. We had offices around the world and recruiters around the world. So we had done a lot in the recruiting space. And what I'm really proud of is that I could look at that recruiting team and say, we literally brought everyone into that organization. Not just myself by any means, but it's like this team was the gatekeepers to, to culture and to. Yeah. To probably hundreds or thousands, like thousands of people. Absolutely. Wow. That's yeah. so cool. Uh, that's yeah. a neat thing to be a part of. And then did you just, and then you got bored? <laughs> and then I got bored. No, <laughs> that's impossible. I did not get bored. Um, then there was a change in guard at the leadership level and it was my time to move on. And that's when you started Corker Collective? I created Steph Corker Inc. because it was a name that I could register. Um, I wanted to do it all as quickly as possible and I didn't know about registering business names and getting tax information and GIA. So I was like, the fastest thing I can do is myself. Let's incorporate this human. Um, so I did, and I did it very quickly. And, um, my goal was always to work with my brother, but Matt was at Lululemon and loved his job. And he was like, there's no way I'm leaving. So we had a deal that if in one year's time, I could get the business to a certain point in time, a certain point in growth, he would consider leaving. And it literally took me one full year. And one full year later, we um, 
we met every quarter to review the business and to see where it was at. And my goal literally was just to grow this to a place that, you know, Matt Corker would be up for coming to run. And in our final meeting, I was like, I will surrender Steph Corker Inc. Like, what does this need to be called? And um, we actually registered the business as the Corker Collective. And we went by the Corker Co. And here we are, five years later, um, as a bro and sis founded team has been brought to the world. And we now have a really phenomenal group of coaches, contractors, employees that all work with us. And really it's thank goodness to Matt Corker. And I'm so grateful for it. Was, was doing your own thing just a natural, like, was it a big thought process or did you just dive into that? Like, I guess I'm always interested in people, especially when they go from having traditional roles to being an entrepreneur and running your own shop, um, what that transition was like and what, was there a thought process there? Was it natural? Like, was it just a natural evolution? Was it something you've been burning to do for years? Hmm. Well, maybe a bit of a combination. I've always wanted, hence Nomo Solo, to create something. Uh, but I've also been aware that, and, and I say this for everyone, truly, I don't think you have to be an entrepreneur to be a creator. And some people, I mean, the risk is high and the stress is enormous and it's insane. There are so many easier ways to pay your mortgage. And I think for the sanity of humanity, do that. Like, do whatever brings you the greatest sense of peace. <laughs> um, yep. Except I couldn't, I couldn't wrestle with that gorilla. I was just like, what leader do I want to go work for? Who am I inspired by so much that I just can't sit still? And, um, and what else do I want to create in my life? And so I was a very enthusiastic and keen triathlete. And I wanted to be able to ride my bike and race around the world. And I was like, well, that doesn't really line up with asking a boss for time off to go ride my bike. They think I'm just going to be goofing off. And um, there's also a lot of daddy-daughter issues because my dad certainly told me that I would never make it. So, you know, there's something to prove there. <laughs> um, and I remember just thinking, like, if not now, when? And so I thought I would give myself 12 months. If I needed to go look for a new job, I was not too proud to look for a new job to make coffee. I didn't care. I was like, worst case scenario, I'm going to say I've tried and I failed. Best case scenario, I'm going to be able to recruit my brother out of Lululemon. And when I looked at best case and worst case, I just literally went for it. That's cool. Or yeah. not. It might have been crazy. There was 144 other competing brands in the city of Vancouver, and I knew it and just didn't even care. Yeah, you just went for it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and to your point, not everyone, not everyone necessarily has that kind of bug in them and urge in them. It also, I mean, it definitely sounds like it was a lifestyle choice. A big part of it was a lifestyle choice because you are. A, I didn't mention this at the start, but you're a very avid athlete, like a pretty serious athlete. So you, you probably like how much of your time does that take up? Well, and here's what I want to say that, so I do race Ironmans professionally and like a lot of them, like a lot. Well, I have raced a lot of them. Now everything's canceled. The world is canceled. So now I get to just say, I like to swim, bike and run. Um, I exercise like everybody. And sometimes I choose to spend a lot of my hours, you know, of certain days exercising. Um, and 
yeah, depending on the week, I might spend 20 hours a week exercising, uh, but that's seven days a week. So, and that's a lot on the weekends and it's usually really early mornings. Yeah. And, but to your point, like in terms of, um, creating a role for yourself, which can, is definitely a harder, is, is there a lot more unknowns and things, but it also does give you some of that flexibility. If you want to take a trip and go do a race or do something like that, you can, you can balance those things. I would love one day, and this might be another podcast, but like riff on the, the joy and the suffering of freedom, because with freedom, there comes an enormous responsibility and uh, it feels like easily overlooked or easily painted with a brush of like, you have all this free time. It's like, yeah, but as an entrepreneur, you're never turned off. You're constantly on and how to manage that accordingly. Um, and I'm not in defense of it. I choose my life. I choose my days. I choose my alarm clock. And I get quite a few young people reaching out to me saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. And I'd like to ask them the questions of why and do you understand what that means? And, you know, yeah, like there is an incredible amount of, you, you're basically doing it all yourself and you're the last stop. So that means you're the janitor and you're, you're kind of every aspect of the role, which I'm happy to do that. But it, it's, it's a certain type of um, personality that wants to deal with that. And there's tons of unknowns and there's people that rely on you and there's all sorts of things, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that freedom, well, freedom always comes with responsibility. And I've learned myself at least, that the more discipline I can have, the more freedom I can have. And so that you can't have one without the other. Like you can't, you can't do well at freedom without a lot of discipline. Yes. Well said. Yeah. And with the Corker Co, with everything going on right now, we were talking just before we started here, but what has changed or what, like, what is it, what's the last month, two months been like as all of this, this kind of current norm that we're in right now, what's that been like as an entrepreneur, as a business owner for you? Like what's your experience been of it? Within the first 72 hours of COVID hitting, we lost $150,000 in contracts and um, we're very quickly faced with the reality of like, what are we doing? What can we do? How do we do this? And half of our business is very much offline. And so we very quickly said, how do we turn this into online experiences as quickly as possible. And the other half of the business is called recruiting. And not only were people halting recruiting in a very serious way, um, but we immediately got a ton of inquiries to help lay off large numbers of people of organizations very quickly and swiftly, which is the complete inverse of why I started this business (laughs) and of why, you know, of why we're doing this work. And, um, and frankly, with with a pretty dark cloud on the horizon. I mean, 3.3 million people lost their job in one week, and you don't get to just miraculously find 3 million people a new job again. So that was COVID, week one. Um, and I read a quote, um, I read a post on Instagram um, from Erin Anderson, full credit, and she said, pivot, don't quit. And as soon as I read that, I called bro and I'm like, bro, we're going to pivot everything. We're not quitting. And he was the biggest hell. Yes. He's like, got it. Where do we need to pivot? And he went into creation mode and he was like, just keep going. 
um, create what you want to create. Let's put it out there. Let's keep trying. And, um, we've done that and, and it's created some really neat opportunities. We still have some clients that are like, we're going to pop out the other side and I want to have the best talent. So don't stop recruiting for me, which has been a huge blessing. And we just, I guess you can say like, we haven't gotten bored, um, which is my greatest, my greatest blessing is, is the opportunity to stay creative and, and to not get bored. And so this is an opportunity to find new ways of doing things. And that's what we're doing. Wow. So it sounded like you, at least like psychologically, re- like rebounded pretty quick. I mean, that those phone calls that first couple of days there, losing those contracts must have been very frightening. It sounds like you, you, you bounced back pretty quickly from that. Well, um, what I do you attribute was- that to? Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it was frightening for everyone. And so it's different when it feels like you're the only one in the storm, but it was like frightening across the board. And I was like, great, like we're a part of this. We're feeling this, we're in the impact of this. And we can see how people are responding, how some people are choosing to respond and how other people, I mean, circumstantially have been put in a a place. Um, And... And I say this, like, we're not immune to the wave of change coming, crashing down and completely wiping things out. That could absolutely happen. And, and then what? And then what do we do? Um, I guess, you know, we will see. <laughs> um, but I think said very humbly, and this is where I look to sport a lot right now. And I think, gosh, I am so glad that I've been such a mediocre athlete. I'm so glad that I have failed so many times that I have just, I have never lost my enthusiasm in trying so hard. And that really feels like the time now to translate that to business. That, you know, we've had some really fun success. We've had quarters that have completely bombed. Um, you know, Matt and I have really gotten into some personal stuff. this has not been a cakewalk and yet we continue to show up. We continue to choose it. And I just have like endurance level optimism. And, and I just don't, I mean, I, right now COVID's not going to knock me down. Let's see what happens. Cause so far COVID has chosen to do a lot of things to the world, (laughs) but right now I feel COVID resilient. That's amazing. And it, and it does sound, yeah, it sounds like you're very focused on what you can do right now versus worrying about what's going to happen a month or six months from now. Right. Absolutely. There's too, too much that's unknown. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you know, Matt Corker said it best because he said that everything is uncertain right now. The first week happens, you know, the rug gets pulled out, you feel shocked and then he said, but it's always been uncertain. We've just felt like we've had control. And as soon as we, you know, like just relished in that, just cozied up in the little nest of uncertainty and said, it can all always change. We just haven't been living like that. And then you just become at peace with, I'm going to do the best I can today. And that's all I've got. The problem is that I'm like, I'm going to make hay while the sun shines and the sun has kept shining. So this is why I need to slow down. (laughs) Yeah, and I really appreciated you just calling out the distinction of of glorifying busyness because that that definitely is is right. Like you also have to balance the amount of energy you're putting out there in response to anything like this. So, and making sure you're taking care of yourself as a human 
uh, first too. Is there have there been changes? Do you think in the way you to go about your business and your team go about your business that will stick past this? Like if let's say everything magically is back to normal in July, you know how much of what you've how you've adapted, how much of that remains and is is the new way. Yeah, well, I would say that the full-time team at Team Corker is really special because everyone has traveled. So I was in New Zealand earlier this year. Matt was in Bali. Um, our content and marketing gal was in South Africa. So we're actually pretty great at working remotely and have a good sense of you know how to navigate that. It's really nice. We're all in the same time zone. <laughs> so that's easy. Um, we are unfortunately giving up our office space. So um, we will no longer have an office come the summer. That will become a new norm. We have a thing on Slack right now that I really like. And it's um, when you sit down, I, I call it coming to the office. So when you sit down at your computer and you're ready to start work for the day, we sign on to a channel on Slack where we um, say good morning. It's like you've just walked into the office and one number, how you feel on a scale of one to 10 and one word to describe how you feel. And there's no explanation and no definition and no one comments. So if you're a six and you're lethargic, cool. You're a six and lethargic. Um, we're not going to jump all over you to go have a nap and drink coffee and come back when you're a 10. Um, it's been a beautiful practice to just meet people exactly where they're at. And, um, you know, we get creative. We don't. Uh, it's perfect. So I hope that that's something that we continue to do because I think the reality of remote work is going to be here for a long while. Mm -hmm. um, um, the one thing I wonder is just, you know, Dave, so David Suzuki's organization only works four days a week. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just set. Um, part of it is so that people have more time in their life, the impact to the environment, et cetera. Um, so I, part of me wonders if maybe we'll become a four day a week organization it's almost like I wonder what habits will carry on when there's choice again. Whereas right now it feels like there isn't choice. Yeah. That's what I'm interested in is, is where we can respond in, in, and it sounds like you're responding really proactively and you're thinking creatively and you're kind of, you know, you have a level of optimism and excitement. So it is the chance I've, I've talked to other business leaders who, who talk about this as this is the chance to change things that would normally take a year to change in a month because we just have to. It forces to strip away distractions and say, this is how we're going to do things. Yeah, and I'm really interested in how we how we come out of this. To your point, like the four-day work week or just companies that weren't remote before realizing that it works really well as long as you are intentional about it. How are you staying so optimistic and so sane through all this? It sounds like it's partly just built into you, which is good for you and amazing. Um, but I know that also comes with work. Like uh, It comes with practices. It comes with like what what are you doing to keep yourself in the right mindset and and keeping going and keeping yeah just keeping focused through all of this you know what are what is a daily or weekly practices look like or what are the sort of cornerstones of that for you in your life mm. it's a great question i think being the person to start the business and being the person that's responsible for driving the business um, there's a lot of this that feels like the same uncertainty when beginning. I, I mean, I don't have an optimistic or positive approach um, that doesn't come with fear. It's just that I'm choosing. I think 
as long as I choose this business, it's my, it feels as though it's my responsibility to choose the attitude that comes along with it. Um, I also think I've just failed so many times, Steve, honestly, like I don't glorify getting to this point. I have failed so many times that I get to look back and think I've, I've failed before. Like if I fail again, it's okay. Just keep going as long as you want to keep going. And I just, that the piece in the cornerstone for me is that I haven't lost my enthusiasm for it. It's never the same. And it's kept me super hungry. That being said, I'm very aware now more than ever. And now, like always that taking care of myself is huge. And so I really crave a routine. I really crave sweating. I really crave meditation. I drink a lot of noon. Um, there are things that, you know, I have my list of seven things I do every day and I do those seven things every day. Um, and I guess I'm become a, a creature of a certain amount of routine. And when I have that routine, then everything else really flows. Can you tell me what those seven things are? I sure can. I almost need to look at my notebook. Let's see if I can do them not in my notebook. Yeah, or some of them. Tell me some of them. I'll tell you some of them. So I sweat every day. I do my core exercises, which lately have also been a combination of push-ups every day. I meditate every day. I, um, I have a journal and I write in my journal every day. Uh, in my journal, I typically write the things and people and experiences I'm most grateful for. And if something special happened that day, then that gets a different color Muji pen. Right now, I feel like I'm a talking self-help book. And I'm like, these feel very vanilla. However, as vanilla as it is, this is super great. true yeah. and real for me. Um, I also reach out to three people every day. Um, and I'll tell you that when I started my company, when I started Steph Corker Inc., my goal was to reach out to three people every day as I don't want to call it a business development exercise because it wasn't. It was just, I started my day with notes to three people. It might be business. It might be my mom, any combination. That has always grounded me in remembering that I'm here to be of service, not to be selfish. And it usually becomes like three to 10 people before nine o'clock. And that feels awesome. I am a sponsored noon athlete and I make it a commitment to drink noon every day. Um, what is noon? So noon are hydration tablets. You would have seen oh, them at like the yeah, grocery store. Yeah, and then they drop in. Yeah. Yes. So um, I'm a very religious noon consumer and I, I drink noon genuinely every day. Um, so I, I like to record hydration as well. Mm-hmm. And what, what's your meditation? True. Um, oh wait, the other thing that I'm very excited about, especially right now, this has been like truly, if you want to know a true cornerstone that is a little bit more COVID related. And that is, I make something every day. I make sourdough. I might make, it could be something in the kitchen. I might, I'm right now I'm learning how to play my drum again. So I make music. Um, I take time to make something and, uh, it's really inspired my creative brain and to be a learner and to F up and to 
live in imperfect. Um, I really enjoyed it. That's a great idea right now, especially when so much of our life is 2D. I've been talking to people about find something you can do that's 3D, like with your hands, something Tangible. you can do that's in the real world right now. Yeah. Yeah. You asked me about meditation. I have a subscription to Headspace and good, bad. I just really appreciate Headspace. Yeah, cool. So you do guided meditations. Yes. It's where I'm at. I need the guided piece. I need Andy to keep talking. Yeah, he's good. I like him. Cool. I want to um I want to shift gears and ask you and you mentioned this earlier but I it sounds to me one of the one of the factors in your psychology is your dad. Oh, um, for better or for worse and I'm just interested in in understanding what that relationship is about. He, and and I reason I'm actually it's partly selfish because I from what the sh- the small description I've had it sounds similar to maybe my relationship that I have with my mom and that I've worked on a lot with my mom which mm. is um, and I'm, I won't project what your relationship is. You can tell me about yours, but mine is my mom loves me deeply. She's given me a ton of confidence in my life and a lot of her love, her only love language for most of my growing up years was, uh, critique and was uh, sort of hard, hard, um, feedback or kind of judgment. And, mm-hmm. um, though I've come to really understand what that was about and we've talked a lot about it and I've worked on it a lot. Um, but that was very, that was my experience. Mm. I can definitely look at my twenties and look at parts of my, you know, lots of aspects of my life where something inside me was driving me based from there. And I've, I I think I've, yeah, I've worked a lot. I've worked a lot on unpacking that for myself, but Mm -hmm. so I don't know if I'm just projecting, I just, I don't know if I'm getting a I'm just projecting my whole thing on you, but I'm interested in what what your story there is about about that if if you're comfortable sharing it. Oh gosh, totally. I mean, I think our um, wounded child and our inner child trauma deserves a lot of time and a lot of therapy. And I don't want to, again, glorify it or vilify it. Um, I look at my father and think he did the best he could with what he had, where he was in life, in raising me. And um, I have a lot of love for him without question. And we have had a lot of really beautiful headbutting moments um, that it's easier, I find, but maybe it's just me. It's easier for me to sit back and look and appreciate where it's come from and what's occurring. Um, but it's been harder for him to see how he's how he has shown up, I think. And... And I say that because he is really good at repeating patterns and repeating things. Um, and I, it would be remiss of me to, to not look at my father and think, where did my positivity come from? And where did my relentlessness come from? And there are a lot of qualities that I just sit and think, gosh, darn it. Like I'm so his daughter and that's not lost on me. And so it's more like I need to do the work so that I can have a relationship with my father as his daughter and recognize when I'm crossing the line with other people or other relationships because of this relentless Frank Corker gene that's deeply embedded in my soul. Um, but you know, to his credit, he is a, he is a gutty man. And, you know, I am seen as, you know, a bit of a rain cloud in comparison to his level of positivity. And so he's just next level. Like there's nothing 
that will stop that man from doing anything. And when I appreciate that in him, I can see like the good in it. Um, and I have wounded child issues <laughs> that I continue to work through and that I'm super aware of. And I'm really grateful to be in business and in life with my brother. Um, we share the same mom and dad. And it's great to to have Matt as a counterbalance that acknowledges that which is true and can see things from you know a different lens as well. So we both work really hard to love him exactly as he is. I think therapy is so important and there are things that I'll probably bring with me to my grave that he has said that are just, you know, tattooed on my heart. Yeah, I understand that. And, um, yeah, what is, what has been your path in unpacking that or you've done some therapy around that? Like how have you, how have you looked at that? Well, my, I dated a man very early on in my life who, had a phenomenal father. And I recognized that I wasn't really into the guy. I was just into his dad, not in a sexual way, but just a father figure way. Um, And then I married a man who treated me like my father. That didn't go very well. And we're no longer together. Um, And then I said, stop making bad choices and go to therapy. And so I've worked with several therapists um, and uh, I mean, it's not like I'm proud or not proud. I, I don't think I could have gotten to where I am today without that. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm infinitely grateful for that. Um, also landmark, I went to landmark forum and advanced and definitely had things to deal with, with my dad in those two courses. So, um, that was really helpful. And whether it's healthy or not healthy, Matt and I happen to live on the opposite side of the country of our father. And I think he, like our dad definitely wishes that we were closer. Um, but I think this might be like the healthy balance of our relationship as well. Yeah. And so I had you on my list to talk to for a while. And uh, to be honest, like I do them all in person. So I thought I was on pause and I'm like, okay, I got to figure out how to do this remote thing. (laughs) Even though I've worked remote for five years, I was doing all my podcast in person. But then I saw an Instagram for you and I thought, okay, I got to talk to her now. And this is an Instagram you posted coming out of a Kundalini class. Um, but just what you said there, and I, I'm going to read a little bit of it. I don't want to embarrass you, but I just want to read a little bit of it. I thought you're just the way you fra- framed it was so beautiful. So I'm going to just read it and I'd love to just chat with you about it for a sec. You said, um, I opened my eyes uh, from Ursi's Kundalini yoga class to realize that life is different now. Boxes and labels, titles and to-do lists, goals and dreams, they aren't the same as they used to be and nor am I. And he said, hot dang, I can be so spicy. I think that's what the little pepper means. Sure does. I can be so spicy and impatient. I've hung on to social constructs and chased big company start lines, yet what if now I trade the spicier for softer, sprinkle with more patience than ever before? What if I procrastinate never and realize the ease uh, to which days can flow? Uh, what if I remember people is greater than profit at profit and sweat as a currency start lines will arrive. Businesses will rebound, but most of all, I hope I'm so proud of the person I get to become off my mat. Um, that's very inspiring. I sound I, so poetic. Yeah. You sound, yeah, I, I, I don't know how long, I don't know if that's something that you just like 
typed out instantly or edited 20 times. Like it's one of those things where it could have gone either way. I'm just interested what that moment was about for you, if you can recall or. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did a lot of yoga at one point in time in life, and then I became really rigid and I did a lot of swim, bike and run, which is one plane. And, um, uh, Matt Corker teaches yoga and I try really hard to go to a Matt Corker yoga class as often as I can. Um, but Kundalini with Urse, um, Urse is one of my best friends. She's based in Squamish and the studio she teaches at is obviously closed. So we're all doing Kundalini from our living room. And Kundalini to me is like the Iron Man of yoga. It's like you squat more than you want to squat. You want to be done. And she keeps going and going and going. And it just chips away parts of, you know, ice around my heart until you're left totally busted open. Every, your heart is open and your legs are sore and your arms are shaking. And um, for context, I think I posted that in like week one of, of COVID when it was like, okay, this is, this is real. And I hadn't had, I hadn't made time to go to a Kundalini yoga class because there was a list of all of these other things to do. And it was the moment where everything else was gone. All the companies had shut down the contracts that we were going to lose. We'd lost the to-do list no longer mattered because it wasn't relevant. And I just went to this mat and and you dance in Kundalini yoga. It's like all of a sudden everyone's dancing and we're all on zoom and you can kind of see each other. or You can't. And, and I mean, I think we share the similar vibe that Vancouver feels small and you kind of know a little bit about a lot of people. And now I'm on zoom and I don't know anyone, or I might know, you know, a couple of people and no one gives a shit. No one cares. You've chosen to show up. You might have lost your job. You might have won the biggest contract yet. No one cares. It was like the dawn of every race was canceled. And I called my brother-in-law because we had run the Boston Marathon together last year. And I was like, the Boston Marathon is canceled. And he is like, babe, the world is canceled. And it just struck me. And I realized that I had this chance to show up on a yoga mat and dance with strangers and squat more than I wanted to squat. And it wasn't related to a future goal. It wasn't supporting getting something done on a to-do list. It wasn't to look good at all. It wasn't in support of anyone or anything else. And it struck me like lightning that like, this is what it means to just be right here. And I have spent so long writing the to-do list for tomorrow and wanting to cross things off the list and get one step closer to the next start line, whichever that might be proverbial or figuratively. And it all of a sudden didn't matter. And then the class was over and you hung up zoom and I just lied there. And I was like, this is it. Like, this is it. And so now what am I going to do? And I think it's the power of I want to say it's the power of Kundalini yoga and I love Ursula. It's also just the power of showing up like as raw as ever on a mat with no expectations and for a control freak, goal setting, crazy human that I would once upon a time have labeled myself as 
it was an incredibly liberating, you know, hour. Mm -hmm. I could like, when I sum it up in one word, it felt like surrender. Um, mm. You summed up, I think my, the work I've done over the last two, three, two, two plus years now is focusing on surrender is focusing mm. on, um, I, I forget who said this, but having ambitions without being ambitious, mm. drink, drink deeply from the cup of life without worrying about the outcome so much. So mm. wanting to do many things and try things and learn things, but not to be, not to be so caught up in the outcomes that you forget that it's actually about just lying on that mat sweating, maybe. Totally. Hmm. Yeah. Beyond what you do in your work, what do you think your role in life is? Steve, this is not shallow. <laughs> what is my role in life? It can be as simple as you want to. And maybe you don't think about life that way as well. So whatever that brings up for you. I hope as a collective, we can show up as expressed as possible for the people, causes, things that we believe in. And I think that if I can craft a life doing all of the things that I love with the people that I care about the most, my hope is it will inspire or allow or rally, magnetize people to do the same. Because I think it is the gift of a lifetime and the truest privilege to love how we spend our days that are borrowed time while we're here on earth. And more often than not, personally, I find a lot of joy when I get to be of service in some way. And so doing what I love, whether that's making cookies or running a business or playing the drum for my neighbor, um, I like to think that all of those things are of service, but I know that I can't do that if I sit on the sidelines of life and just watch everyone else do it. So I really want to be, you know, in the name of COVID and the seven o'clock sounds that we're making, I, I want to be in a sound among the, the symphony of 7 p.m. in life. You took my last question because you just answered it, I think. But I'll ask you one other thing. What do you think about legacy? Is legacy something mm. that's important to you or is it part of your framing? How you look at anything? Yeah, legacy. So it was definitely, it was certainly part of something. I think actually it would have been woven into the fabric of my time at Lululemon um, because a lot was about a vision. And so if you create a vision, what is the legacy that you want to create and how will you live into that every day? And what are the goals that you will set? And I'll be honest, Steve, I think I went through a patch that I couldn't see a vision um, and, or I couldn't see a vision that was 10 years out. And I went through a time where I had to set a vision that was 20 or 30 years out and I had to like, get out of my own body and I created another person um, and her name is MJ and she has gray hair and it was like the 60 year old version of me. Not that I dare want to change my name. I'll be Steph Corker till I die. Um, but it took a certain level of dreaming for me to see that future. And so I share that because I think there's a gift of legacy um, that comes once you're able to, to see your own vision. Then you want to be of a contribution from a legacy perspective. 
um, it might have also been some tough, like tough business years and, and tough years that was like, I, I could care less what people think of me in the future. I really want to do the right thing right now. And, um, so I say all that and I share this from a place of, I think legacy is really important. I really admire, um, people that wake up and say that this is what I'm doing to support my legacy. And I will share that there's been a period of time in my life that I have been, I guess, more focused on the right thing right now than anything else. Yeah. And it strikes me that there's likely no better way to create a legacy than to be really focused on each moment and how you're showing up. Mm. So maybe you're nailing it. Or maybe I'm not, but who knows? <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, honestly, I really think you answered this when I asked you about your role in life, but what, what does it mean to you to live a good life? Oh yeah. Okay. I did answer that. The good life to me is to love how you spend your time and who you are surrounded with. And especially in light of COVID, I think the simplest pleasures should forever be glorified. And I, I never want to miss a moment of celebration, Steve. That's the good life to me. I am obsessed with celebrating and I will find something to celebrate in every single person. Um, and not everyone wants to celebrate their birthday, but I want to celebrate your birthday and not everyone might want to celebrate the win, the start line, the failure, but I want to celebrate those things. So feels like a privilege to celebrate and feels like opportunities not to be missed. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening. And you can follow along with my life on Instagram at Steve Rio. For show notes and other info about the podcast, check out natureofwork.co forward slash podcast or find us on Instagram at natureofwork.co. And if you'd like to learn more about how to increase your performance, resilience, and well-being, how to increase the quality of your work, while lowering the stress and anxiety you feel, definitely check out Nature of Work. It's a personal operating system that has transformed my work and my life, not only the quality of my work, but how I feel every day. And with that, I'll leave you. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.